There we are. This morning, what we're going to do is have a little clean, friendly competition. Please, no one get too carried away. You're going to need a pen for this. You can work by yourself or in a group, but you've got to write this down. None of this trying to convince us later that you had this one written down in your head. You have to write it down, okay? And this is what you want to do. I'm going to give you max two minutes. I might cut it a little bit shorter for you to write down as many biblical Christmas personages as you can. Vixen and Rudolph and Frosty and Scrooge, they don't, fit, they don't work. They don't fit the picture, okay? As many biblical Christmas personages. You cannot use your Bibles. No Bible apps can be turned on right now. You've got max two minutes. Ready? Go. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Nah. Okay, put the pens down. No more writing. All right, let's do just a little little checking. Uh, how many people got Mary? Okay, you got Mary. Okay, we're in the right place. Good, you got Mary. How about Jesus? He was part of the Christmas story, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, yes. People going, oh, I forgot Jesus. Okay, how about, how about shepherds? Yeah, okay. Magi, I know they're a little bit controversial. Were they really there or not? But they're in your manger scenes, so we're going to count them. Okay, how about, how about Gabriel? Oh, okay, I'm impressed. All right, the innkeeper? Okay, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little drummer boy? Oh, no, there should not be any little drummer boy on your list. Now, yeah, you know, we, there are like eight weeks between now and Christmas, believe it or not. I'm sure within the next multiple weeks we will hear about Mary and shepherds and wise men. And, well, we should because the scripture has highlighted those folk. But there's somebody else that is actually a key part of the Christmas story, at least in Luke's mind, uh, who I would dare say... Most of our lists, he never made the list. Uh, now, now, this is actually a common issue. When you're reading through Scripture, we see a, a story, a, a you know, literary unit of Scripture, and we wonder what this has to do with anything. Matter of fact, if I named this guy, you might wonder what he has to do with the Christmas story, what he has to do with the whole Bible as a whole anyway. We think that some of these things are like throwaway parts, you know, every drama has those things, and you have background people, and they really don't mean anything, except Scripture says... That all scripture, Second Timothy, right? All of it is God-breathed and is useful. All of it for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Because or that, in order that, the man, woman of God may be thoroughly equipped. In other words, there are no throwaway parts in here. You know, everything in here is here for, there's a lot of stuff not in here. So the things that are in here, there's actually principles within them that you and I need if, in fact, we're going to attain to the righteousness that we're supposed to. And so, so what we're doing today is we are starting a series, actually a series, our Christmas series, believe it or not. It's not even Halloween yet, right? It's going to take us up to, up to Christmas. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 and 2. Christmas stories found in two places, Matthew, Luke, Luke 1 and 2. And we're going to go through the first two chapters verse by verse. And we're, we're, going, to, we're going to see when we start off with... Luke, he starts off, when he wants to tell the Christmas story, with this story about this very, I'll say, unknown sort of guy. At least he doesn't make the Christmas list. You'll never find his picture on a Christmas card. You'll never see his little statue in a manger scene thing. But yet, Luke, if, if in fact the amount of copy given to somebody determines their importance, this guy's at least 50 times more important than the innkeeper. His name is Zechariah. 
Uh, anyone got Zechariah on your list? Let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you brainiacs. Okay. Um, now, here's the deal. We're going to bump into him in, in heaven one day. And so it's best that we understand why he's in the, in the text in the first place. But also we want to know. So if you got your Bible, so you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 1. As we start into our series. Luke chapter 1. Longest book in the New Testament is Luke. More words written than any other any other book. And it's very interesting. First four verses, he tells us why he has written. It's real, real interesting. Luke chapter 1. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Maybe he's thinking about Mark at this point. Uh, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account. It seemed like a good idea in my mind for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Now, I think this is fascinating because Luke spends longest book in the New Testament writing to a single person. This guy named Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. Tradition says that Theophilus was kind of on the line. You know, if you, you think about it, Jesus had already been born. He'd already gone to the cross. He already ascended. And Luke is writing several years later. And so Theophilus may have heard about these things. But he obviously wasn't certain about them. Maybe he hadn't surrendered his life yet. Yeah, I've heard about this kind of stuff. I've heard this God thing. I hear Jesus. But I'm just not sure. That, that's, that's a perspective on Theophilus, but there's a second perspective. Theophilus, his name means lover of God. And so the thought is, well, this guy is somebody who loved God, but for whatever reason, he wasn't real sure. You know, his faith, maybe his faith started out strong, but as time went on, it's like, ah, I'm not so sure about this anymore. And so Luke says he's writing in order to, you notice the reason here, in order that you might know the certainty in other words, I want your faith to be strong. You want strong faith? It's not, a, not hoping that we'll get it. Luke says, I'm writing this in order that it will be strong. So put your own faith on the faith scale. Zero, you know, Theophilus on the line, not sure if he's there or not. Uh, to number nine, no one really gets to ten until you get to heaven. Okay, let's just assume that. But, but anywhere on that faith scale, where is your faith right now? Don't answer out loud, thank you. Um, on the faith scale, we can... Move, I don't care where it is. We can move it down. down. Scripture will strengthen. Now, our, our story starts this morning, starts in verse 5. And let me give you the background for this, just so we, we understand the context of what's going on here. It's 4 B.C. Jerusalem. Uh, 4 B.C. Jerusalem. God has, has, the nation of Israel is back in their land. Kinda, but they're they're not they're independent right now. Rome is ruling them. I mean, they haven't really been in charge since 586 BC, and and they were ruling until Babylon came out and wiped them out. Then Persia let them go back and rebuild their city, but Persia said, "But we're in control, don't you forget?" And then Alexander wiped out uh, Persia, and he said, "Okay, now I'm in control, don't you forget?" And then Rome came on the scene, and they took over, and they said, "Now we're in control." And so Israel, the nation, the people are back in their land, but they're really underneath Rome. And you need to know that, that for the last 400 years, God has been silent. He has not sent a prophet for 400 years. Now, God, when he had a message he wanted to share to his people, he sent a prophet. When God had something he wanted to say, he sent somebody to say it. 
But God hadn't sent anybody in 400 years. Now, it's been 500 years since a real, authentic, angelic visitation has been listed. It's been 700 years since a verifiable miracle has been listed. That's like three times the, the length of our country, or the history of our country. And, and so these guys are at this place where these stories about Noah and Moses and Abraham and, seems so long ago. And the Roman guards occupying the city were saying, you guys just have your little God mythological stories if you need to. If you need that, that's okay, but you need to keep in mind, if there is a God, he's not here anymore. Rome rules. Just don't forget that. It's kind of, kind of similar to our, our day, what we hear on a regular basis. Uh, God was silent. Have you ever experienced the silence of God? I was in high school. I uh, wasn't into some major sin or anything. Uh, I didn't need any major answers to prayer or any major uh, direction. But I remember being desperate and praying, Oh God, if you're real, would you please just show me? It's not a hard thing for you. You're God, right? Just kind of show up in a bright light and just say, I'm real. Something. Just let me know you're real. I just got to know. Are you real? Silence. Maybe maybe you've put your neck on the line for God at some point. And between your friends or relatives or somebody, you stood up for God and you really needed him to come through, vindicate you in one way or the other. And you're saying, God, this is for your glory. Would you just do this one thing? Silence. And you look like an idiot and people are mocking you. Maybe you're committed to God and you're trying and you're serving. But still, the cradle broke. The prodigal never came home. The pink slip did. The banker knocked on, on, on the, the door. The, the prayers kept bouncing off the ceiling. You've been bombarded with arguments on why God is not real and why only stupid people believe this. And you're start, starting to sound good to you. And you're saying, God, please, will you just do something? Silence. You know, I think the silence of God is probably one of the most damaging things for our faith. that We allow it to be. The silence of God. And Israel was certainly facing the silence of, of God here in, in our story. In verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, Again, what you've got to keep in mind is 1,500 years before this time, Moses is getting ready to go back to Egypt, you know, to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And God sends his brother Aaron with him. And God says that Aaron is going to be his spokesman. And from that point on, Aaron is like, he's like the first priest of the nation of Israel. He was the, the first high priest of the nation of Israel. And from that point on, all of Aaron's male descendants were going to become priests. They, they weren't figuring out, should I be a nuclear engineer? Should I be a greeter at Walmart? Should I go into you know, auto repair? They weren't thinking those things. They were going to be a priest. That's just caste system kind of thing. That's just the way it was. They were born. They're Aaron's family. That's what they were going to do. And so at this point, there's like 20,000 of them scattered all over Israel. Now, now, if you were a cool priest, then what you needed to do. I mean, all the Levites were priests, but people from the, from the family of Aaron... They had special rights. They could be the high priest. They were, they were higher up on the food chain, as it were, than the typical priests, the, the line, people from the line of Aaron. And if you were a cool priest from the line of Aaron, you married a woman from the line of Aaron as well. And that's what he did. Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. But there's, they've got a problem. 
Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. These two don't just have the pedigree. They got the pedigree. You can't beat it. Uh, but also, in God's mind, they were blameless. I think this is, this is pretty cool. You wonder, when your name is mentioned in heaven, how does God react? You know, what does God do when your name is mentioned? When, when Zechariah's name is mentioned, he's saying, blameless. This guy's blameless. What a cool thing, right? Well, that's, that's what God is thinking of Zechariah. They're keeping the word. Word of God, they're, they're obeying it blamelessly. Can't say I've done that. But their issue, and the author Luke wants to make sure that we understand, is that Elizabeth was barren, and she's like twice dead, and she's well along in years. She's past childbearing. Now, this is, this is actually huge, because it's always, it's always, I think it's always huge in every culture, as far as the ability to have children and bear children. But in this culture, did you know that if you could not, as a woman, that was legal grounds for divorce? Because the reason why you got married was in order to have children. That's what you were supposed to do in this agrarian society. The more farmhands you could have, the bigger your spread. And so you wanted lots of kids. The more the merrier. Your children were your heritage. They, they allowed your name to live on after you were gone. Your, your children were your social security. They were your future. You wanted lots of them. But it goes deeper than that. There's a spiritual deal with having children. And Zechariah, keep in mind, he's a priest, so he knows this. Psalm 127. Psalm 127, it says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man, or approved by God is the man, whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Uh, now, there's an, you see, you see the, the issue here. Zechariah is blessed. I mean, he's blameless in God's mind. And yet, he has no children. And the word was, Psalm 127, if God has favor on you, you will have many. But he and Elizabeth didn't have any. And so you know how people talk. They talk about that. And so they're wondering, what in the world did Zechariah and Elizabeth do to fall out of favor with God? Well, we like to do this, right? Well, let's speculate. And so they began to maybe speculate on what these two did to fall out of favor with God. They had, they had no, no children. God was silent, not just as corporately as a nation. He'd been silent in their life as well. Now, once, it says, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense and when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. There are 20,000 priests, right, at this point in history, scattered throughout Israel. There's so many priests that they're broken down into 24 different divisions. And what would happen is twice a year, two different one-week intervals, your division was called up. And wherever you were located in Palestine, your division came to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. Now, you've got to keep in mind, the temple, the building itself was not that big. But the courtyards and all the myriad of storehouses and the, the treasury, the bank, literally thousands of people were employed at the temple. The temple was the bread and butter, meat and potatoes for Jerusalem. It was, it was the reason why Jerusalem existed. And it seems it was been inferred that just about everybody in Jerusalem 
owed their livelihood to the temple directly or indirectly. And so his division was called up. He came to Jerusalem. And well, in the temple itself, not a, big, not a big building. You guys know this, just review. Two rooms in the temple itself. You had the most holy place, right? The most holy place. The only piece of furniture in there was the Ark of the Covenant. And that was a symbol of God's presence. Now, of course, the Ark of the Covenant is gone at this point in history. No one knew where it went. As Indiana Jones, you know, he'll tell you his thoughts on this thing. But uh, it's gone. But the room is empty. But still, it's a picture of God's presence. And so once a year, the high priest goes in there for just a short time. Day of Atonement. People don't walk in there. It's the presence of God. But now that's the most holy place. But now the holy place, it's that second room, a little bit larger room in the temple. Uh, there's a, like a coffee table with, with 12 loaves of bread on it. There's a menorah thing that's lit up. There's, there's all the way to the, to the curtain that separates the holy place, the most holy place. There's an altar of incense. It's pushed right up against the curtain. And, and that's where people re- reflects the prayers of the people, as close to God's presence as you can be. Well, Zechariah's division is hanging out at the temple. He's there to serve. And, and he takes lots and it's determined he's supposed to go in there and burn the incense. Now, what happened? Every, every single day, other than holidays, other than, than special holy days, what would happen is a priest would, would get, the designated priest would get some altar coals off the altar and a handful of the special recipe uh, incense. He would go into the holy place. He would go to the altar of incense. He'd put the coals down, spread them out a little bit. He would take the incense. He'd put, them on, the, put it on the coals. It would smoke while he would pray for the redemption of Israel. While he's praying for the redemption of Israel, the worshipers are outside the temple and they're praying the same thing. God, you've promised you'd send us a Messiah. Would you send the Messiah? Lord, would you redeem your people? We're a, we're a mess. We're underneath the oppression right now of Rome. Please, would you redeem your people? They're making fun of her. Would you prove yourself strong? God, would you redeem Israel? And then the, then the priest would come out and he would took, look at the worshipers and he'd bless the worshipers. He'd take a year old lamb and he would sacrifice it on the altar. And, and then in the evening, exact same thing happened. Priest would, would, would sacrifice the lamb. He would take the altar, the coals and the incense, and go into the, the temple. And he would put the coals on the incense altar and put the incense on it. Would smoke up. He would pray for the redemption of Israel. Please, would you deliver your people? The worshippers are outside doing the exact same thing. He comes out. He blesses the people. He goes home. Day after day after day after week after month after year after decade, hundred years. This went on and on and on and on. That's what they did. And Zechariah's time was there. He was in there burning incense. The people were out. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now, you're going to go in. If you get the opportunity to go in, not every priest had the opportunity to go burn incense. But if you did, it was a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Zechariah is somewhere between 60 and 80 years old. I mean, he's, he's, he's perhaps thought... This dream of doing this was bypassed. He would never have it. It's his time. He gets the coals. He gets the incense. He walks into the holy place, into a, a place where uh, perhaps the original furniture was in there, the stuff that Moses designed, that they built in the desert. He's looking at this and he's thinking Aaron was here and Zadok and Zerubbabel were here. And all the hundreds and hundreds of years and Joshua's team and the judges and, and you got David and, and Solomon and, and Josiah and, and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat and, and on and on and on and on. Just the history that's in this room. 
And he looks, and there's the curtain. He knows on the other side of the curtain, there's God. And there's that altar of incense. And he's got, okay, I'm going. So he's getting closer. I think with every step, his heart's going, you know, it's getting a little bit louder. And he gets to the altar of incense, and he puts the coals down, and he puts the incense on it, and he prays, oh, God, would you redeem your people? When he looks, opens up his eyes, standing next to the altar of incense is an angel. I don't know what an angel looks like. A glowing man. I don't know what he's looking like. But can you imagine Zechariah? You know, he's freaking out. He's gripped with fear, it says. Gripped with fear. He's as strong as you could say. I can't imagine. If you were sleeping, sorry about that. But you shouldn't be sleeping in church. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine how, how afraid? I mean, I mean, an angel has not been seen in 500 years. This was not common routine. We think the Bible, there's an angel on every other page. This was not normal stuff. I mean, it's, it's who is what's God. So he's freaking out a little bit. And maybe that's why the angel says to him, angel said to him, do not be afraid. That's the first thing the angels usually say to people because they're all freaking out. Do not be afraid. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to name him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great inside the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Now, think about this, this kid for a second that they're going to have. If you are a godly parent, what's the number one thing you want from your children? It's not a trick question. No, not to be an engineer. You want them to be godly, don't you? You want them to, if you're a godly parent, you want so much for them to walk with the Lord. Angel says, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And you need to know he's going to be a, a, a joy and a delight to you. And you need to know other people are going to rejoice. And they're not going to just rejoice because he's going to have a big birthday party. He's born, born to these old couples. So everyone's going to think it's fantastic. He's going to rejoice. People will rejoice because uh, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Ah, that's Your son's going to be okay. Matter of fact, Jesus would say about John, this is going to be John the Baptist, about John the Baptist, that among all the people ever born, nobody was greater than John the Baptist. Kind of an amazing thing. He says, talks about how he's going to have the Holy Spirit from the time he was born. Now, you've got to keep in mind, this is still Old Testament. I know the divisions in your Bible, throw those out for a second, because the New Testament really doesn't start until Acts chapter 2. Okay, this is kind of a transition time, really, between Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so all the Old Testament stuff is, is, is in vogue, and it's happening right here, right now. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, the way he worked, is he came on you to do a special task, you know, a special job, and then he left. He came, he left. He came for you to say whatever you needed to say, to sing whatever you needed to sing, to kill whoever you needed to kill. He came and left. He came and left. That was normal. But here, he says, from the time this kid is born, and the inference is, and he's not leaving, the Holy Spirit is coming on him, in him. And so Zacharias could be thinking, I've never heard of such a thing. I mean, God is going to indwell this kid for forever? Wow. Wow. It's amazing. Now, let me, let me ask you, and this is kind of a trick question. What do you think Zechariah was praying for in the temple? You might say, well, Elizabeth was barren. They didn't have any children, pastime of childbearing. And uh, angels said, prayer's been heard. You're going to have a child. I'm guessing he was praying for a child. I don't think so. Again, he's somewhere between 60 and 80 years old. If you're 80 years old, are you praying to have a child? Is that what's going on? I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think you are. 
also, Zechariah, you got to keep in mind, is on the clock. This is official business. Remember, even he is obsessed with, with the, and, and possessed and, and inundated and enveloped and immersed and whatever word you want to say with his task in the temple. I mean, he's in there. This is incredible privilege and he knows what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to represent the nation of Israel. And he's praying the same thing that the worshipers are praying outside. And are they praying that Elizabeth, when she's 80, will have a child? I don't think they're praying that. They're praying for the redemption of Israel. And that's what he's praying for. And the angel says, your prayer was heard. It's time. And the prayer of your fathers were heard. And your grandfathers and your great-grandfathers. It's time. Redemption of Israel, it's time. Messiah is coming. I'm going to tell you how we're going to initiate this thing. He says, your, your boy, you're going to have a son. He's going to start the ball rolling. It's quite, quite the message. Like, oh my goodness, really. Now, um, I think that that's what Zechariah was praying. I think it's, it's pretty clear. But also, I think that there's a, another line on this, another portion of thinking. And we just got to go down this road. And that is that Zechariah and Elizabeth, remember they were barren. What do you think they were praying 50 years earlier when they first got married and they wanted to have children so bad and they thought they would have children and grandchildren all their friends were getting married and they were having families. Don't you think month after month after month they probably prayed for children. Please, oh God, would you give us children? Please, oh God. Would you give us children next month? Please, oh God. Your word says that if you approve of us, if you care for us, if you bless us, you're going to give us children. It says if we don't have them, we're not been blessed by you. What's wrong, oh Lord? Please, would you give us a child? No child. Silence. 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 How many years did they pray that prayer? Oh, man. I think that what's happening here is one of the things the angel is saying is, remember... All those prayers you prayed, Zechariah, way back when. Maybe you've even forgotten this, but you know God has not forgotten this. Now, two principles here. First principle is silence does not equal disfavor. Sometimes we think if we're not hearing anything from God, He's not speaking to us for whatever reason. He's far off. He doesn't care. But remember, here, Zechariah and Elizabeth have no kids, but God was very conscious of them. He thought they were blameless. Just if you're feeling God's silence these days, don't think that that means God is far away. It doesn't mean that. Don't think that means he's given up on you, he's quit, he's busy with something else. It does not mean that. He's as close as he's ever been. God's silence does not equal disfavor. Second principle here is that regarding prayer, God always hears prayer, and his timing is perfect. We think, when I pray, he needs to answer right away. And when I open my eyes, if the, prayer, if the answer's not there, then obviously God dropped the ball, something happened, I, I messed up, I said it wrong, I got sin in my life, he's too busy, he cares, he really doesn't exist, we got all the reasons. I need this prayer answered by this date, and if it's not answered by this date, same thing, well, I must not really be around, I tried this thing, prayer doesn't work, whatever. God's timing. It's not our timing. And God doesn't forget our prayers. And none of them are ever perfect. 
And not none of them are, are ever pure. But now this does require a little discernment because sometimes our prayers are uttered and they're not answered because uh, they were wrong. We were praying selfishly. We were praying. Granted. But don't think because you've prayed and you don't have an answer right now that that means God's not going to answer. He might answer radically different than you would have anticipated. Radically different time than you would have ever thought. But God always hears our prayers. Always. They're not far from him. His timing is perfect. It's always perfect. We can trust him for that. Look look at this this child they were going to have. It says that many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. If, in fact, God would would have given Zechariah and Elizabeth the child way back when when they asked for one, there would have been 20,001 priests. I'm sure it had been a great kid and all, but just another priest. Messiah wasn't ready. But right here, right now, who are they getting? They're getting the very last Old Testament prophet. They're getting somebody who who gets to do what Isaiah wanted to do and wasn't allowed to do. They're getting somebody uh, who got to do what Jeremiah longed to do and was not allowed to do. What Habakkuk or Malachi or Zechariah wanted to do. Please let me do. It wasn't for them. It was for John. John got to introduce the nation of Israel to the Messiah. His people. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Your Messiah's here. The, the nation of Israel was, was spiritually cold. It was spiritually dark at this point. And John was going to turn the lights on. He was going to start a revival to prepare the people, get them ready for the Messiah. Theoretically, the people were so cold they would have missed him completely. But John stirs up a major revival. Now, again, you'd think this is good news, right? This is good news. You got John, you're going to need to know, Zechariah, that, that the Messiah is coming. It's time. It's time for the redemption of Israel. It's going to be great. And your son is going to lead the parade. You'd think that Zechariah would be going, <laughs> this is wild. I can't believe it. He'd be high-fiving the angel. He'd be having a blast in there. You would think this, right? You'd think, oh, man, this is great stuff. But Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in the years. It's like, <laughs> angel, I don't know how things work in heaven, but let me tell you a little bit about human biology, okay? I mean, my wife, and she wasn't able to then, she's definitely not able to now. You, you Probably a day late, you should have came yesterday. You know, Epstein was here, and he had he's a young guy, and his wife was They would have worked out fine, but you know, it's just not going to happen with us. Sorry to take the air out of your sails, angel, but it's not going to happen. How'd you get in here anyway? And so, so he's kind of, just, just a little bit of disbelief. And you need to know, this might be a hard story to buy anyway, but Zechariah as a priest, it should not have been that hard for him to buy. So the angel doesn't take kindly to this. And the angel answered, I'm Gabriel. Who do you think I am? The UPS guy. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Now, now Zechariah would know that in, in the scripture, only two angels are mentioned, Michael and Gabriel. Gabriel comes to Daniel in Daniel 8. Gabriel is like God's Right-hand angel. If there's an org chart in heaven, God, Gabriel, a bunch of other angels. You know, he's got, he's got some major authority and he responds directly. He reports directly to God. And he says, I'm, I'm Gabriel. So I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you. You think this is my plan? I wouldn't have chosen you. And to tell you this good news. This is good news. This was God's idea. You don't think God knows your age? You think I'm a day late? God's not a day late. This is, this is good news. And now you will be silent. 
I wish I had this power, you know, and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. You have nothing good to say. You're not seeing anything at all. Wouldn't it be fun? <laughs> None of us would be speaking here, but that would still be fun all the same. So the, the, the angel doesn't take this well. Zechariah, this is, this is important for us. He's a righteous man. It's not perfect. Righteous does not mean you're, you're, you're perfect this side of heaven. doesn't mean that you've reached it, you've attained all, that you always respond perfectly well under every circumstance. It doesn't, doesn't mean that. So he's there. It says in verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. And wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. You know, this should be an easy thing. You put the coals down, throw the incense on it. You say a couple of words, you come on out, you bless us, it's all done. Yeah, but he's staying in there for forever. What's going on? When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Don't you wonder what kind of signs he made? And what was he doing? <laughs> you know, was you know, what kind of signs do you make? I don't know what he's making. But the people are like, wow, you know, you know, his buzz been playing with the recipe for the incense again. You know, what's going on here? And so they're all kind of, he stayed there though. He worked all, mute as he was, he continued on his service for that week. Then he goes home, it says, and when the time of his service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant uh, and for five months remained in seclusion. Again, what Luke wants you and me to, to remember, just to know, he's underlining this here is that this birth was not like Mary's. Now, this is going to be a miracle, but it's not like Mary's. Zechariah had to go home before she became pregnant. Just, just, it's not going to be like Mary's. He wants us to know that. Now, he leaves it to our imagination, how he communicated all this to Elizabeth, and what he kind of did, who knows, and, and she saw this look in his eye that she hadn't seen for 30 years, and all that kind of stuff. Who knows? We're not going there, but she's pregnant all the same. And it says, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor. There it is. And he's taken away my disgrace among the people. Another principle we can derive from this is when God is silent, we are to remain faithful. Most often, we are frail people, aren't we? I mean, our, our faith is often in proportion to God's blessings. When life is good, when things are going well, when the blessings coming down, our, our hands are coming up, we're praising God. Yeah, he's so good. He's a good guy. But as the blessings slow down, you know what? Our faith slows down just a little bit. And if things get quiet and if there's silence and if there's a desert, you know what? We, we're just not so sure anymore. It's so hard to watch somebody's faith go AWOL, isn't it? I've seen this so many times. It is so sad. They, they used to come, be a part. But now they come sometimes and they're kind of... They're not all excited about it. And they used to serve, wholeheartedly serve. But now, you know, if they serve, it's half-heartedly at best, and they're just not into it anymore. And they used to be excited about the Word of God. It just doesn't excite them anymore. A lot of reasons, of course, but a key one is the silence of God. When we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, silence of God, corporately and personally, he was still serving. His division's called up. He could say, you know what? I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm almost 80 years old, for crying out loud. Let somebody else deal with that. These other young priests, they can handle it. I'm done. Thinking in the back of his head, you know what? God's been silent to me. He just doesn't need me. I don't understand this thing. I'm done. But he makes the trek. He serves. He's faithful, even though 
God is, God is silent. I was at uh, Moody. By the way, if you're going to go to Moody one day, it's a great place to go because you get a lot of sermon illustrations. So I'm at Moody. In freshman year, I'm dating this girl. And she's in the chorale, which is the haughty toddy kind of uh, people who can sing very well. She's in the chorale. And I'm in the concert band, which is people who couldn't make the chorale. And we go touring in the spring. And it's two weeks plus touring. And she and this, she, Chris and myself, we just started dating. And uh, I get this great idea. I'm going to write her a letter. See, this was before younger people, before Facebook and, and uh, email and all that kind of noise that didn't exist yet. Um, and so you had to write Letters with a real pen and real paper stuff. So, uh, but I thought we had our itineraries, and I thought I'm going to write her a letter. So every stop along the way of her tour, she's going to get a letter from me. This is so wonderful. I'm so romantic. So I, I'm writing this thing, okay? And I get that set. Well, she had the same idea. Oh, that's all. It's so nice. And so first night we're on tour. They have a mail call thing, and doing good. And Mark got a letter from Chris. And they're going, "Who's Chris?" Huh? <laughs> so I get my letter. It's fine. Next night, night two, mail call. Mark, got a letter from the same person. Oh, people are, oh, yeah, 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 that's what can I say, yeah, wonderful. Third night, Mark got another letter from, no people, Chris, yeah, 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 what can I tell you? Fourth night, no letter from Mark. <laughs> well, I'm sure she just got busy. Oh, Mark, <laughs> that was a short-lived thing, wasn't it, Mark? Oh, I'm sure it was a tenor that she probably, yeah, I'm sure, and I kind of made up excuses and stuff and acted like, oh, no big deal. But inside, I'm thinking, oh, I bet it was a tenor. Now, I bet she's sitting on the bus with this other guy and she just forgot about me and we didn't have not a lot of time. And so, of course, there's no foundation. And yep, she's off and she's forgotten and she's too busy. Well, I'm too busy, too. And so I decided right then and there I was going to stop the letters. And so I calculated it all. And I didn't get a letter the next night or the next night. But I, I calculated when she wouldn't get the letter for her first time. I took a, a, a perverse joy with that, you know. <laughs> I bet she's not getting called up for a letter right now. <laughs> on and on and on. Last night of the tour, uh, I get a box. Lots of letters, one for every single day that was missed. She gave them to the mail person that was a designated mail person who, for whatever reason, didn't mail them, started feeling guilty or found them or something and boxed them up and sent them to me. So she sent them all to me. But I interpreted the silence wrong. I interpreted that as meaning she didn't care for me. She wanted somebody else. She had some of the things going on. She was too busy. I interpreted the silence wrong. Easy to do. Easy to do. Have you interpreted the silence of God wrong in your life? If you've interpreted it as he doesn't care, you've interpreted it wrong. Or he's far away. Or he's not listening to your prayer. You've interpreted it. It wrong. There are those times of silence in life. But if we hold on, if we are faithful in the midst of them, God will vindicate. He's, he is true. He is real. He will redeem. I, I love why Luke wrote. He wrote that our faith would be strengthened, that we might be sure. And that's I'm looking forward to this series. For me, for y'all, between now and Christmas, I believe... That if, in fact, we're committed to being here and bringing the word, maybe reading it ahead of time, praying it through, thinking about it, asking God, would you strengthen my faith by Christmas time? I'm guessing that our faith, all of our faith will be stronger. What up? Would that be incredible or what? Uh, that's the goal. That's the goal. So let me encourage you to bring your Bibles, be praying, be thinking through as we go through 
our series when the silence was broken.